It's my intention this morning to preach a sermon that is utterly counter the culture. I'm counter the culture of the West, counter the culture of the United States of America, most certainly counter the culture of Wyoming, and also counter the culture of St. John's Episcopal Church. And in order to find a way in, I would let you know that for about the last seven years, I have been writing a book. And what I really mean to say, for the past seven years, I have not been writing a book. <laughs> but I've been thinking a lot about writing a book. And when I birthed this idea, long before I moved to Jackson and um, took the wheel at St. John's Episcopal Church, I had a conversation with a literary agent who gave me a piece of advice. Her advice was, Jimmy, writing a book is not as hard as you think it is. And I'm going to tell you how to start. You start with a title, then you create a table of contents. And once you've done that, you go chapter by chapter telling the story that you want to tell until you reach the very end. And what I can tell you is if we were to view story, if we were to view the world in that way, we have a very curious gospel reading. And that curious reading would begin at chapter 4, verse 1. What you heard this morning was the Spirit leading Jesus out into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan, the serpent, the devil for 40 days. And if the story begins there, chapter 4, verse 1, then in my mind, what I've been calling the story over the course of the last week or so as I began to get my heart around this sermon was then it would be a sermon entitled something like Hard Rock Jesus or sort of Bad Mother Jesus. The idea that Jesus being led, being pushed out into the wilderness to be tempted by state, Satan, Jesus, gritty, tough as nails, ready to ride at all times, is able to victoriously, through the strength of his will and his rugged independence, resist the temptation of the devil. You know the beats of the story. The Spirit leads or drives Jesus out into the wilderness where he fasts and prays. He gets to that first level of human need, physical hunger. And the tempter comes to him and says, if you are hungry, I encourage you to solve your own problem. Jesus, you know how powerful you are. Turn these, bread, turn these stones to bread and satiate your physical need. Jesus, 
if we're still reading that chapter 4, verse 1 story, through the strength of his will, rejects the temptation of Satan. Over the course of hours or days, we don't know, the tempter returns to Jesus, right? And it's that secondary level of human need. Jesus, here you find yourself in spiritual distress. Here you find yourself emptied of physical need, but full of emotional angst and stress. If that is so, take your place to the epicenter. Take your spot at the epicenter of healing for spiritual and social emotional angst. Put yourself at the top of that temple. Own your soul. Control your emotions. You know you have just such power. And Jesus, out of his physical strength and out of his emotional strength, rejects the tempter a second time. The tempter returns with the ultimate offer, right? Takes Jesus to this high place. Jesus, everything you know, everything you've experienced, everything you've lived, all of that can be yours. Yours and only yours. If you, Jesus, would pick up power and put down love, you can have it all. And we know in that third bead of the story, Jesus rejects that offer and he is immediately attended by angels as Satan runs in retreat. But what we know about this story is that there is always a story before the story. The first word matters as much as the last word. And though our Bible might be organized in such a way, chapter and verse, we know that that's not how the story was told and written. The story before the story almost always informs the context of the next beat of the story. In some senses, it's algebraic. You have to learn the lesson before in order to grasp the concept that is right before you or, the, or it just doesn't work. And the line, the line of scripture that we get in the very last sentence of the very last of chapter three of Matthew's gospel is the most beautiful line to me in all of scripture. It's my favorite verse. And every time I hear it, my affect softens, my heart opens, my mind expands, and I'm so desirous to receive the wisdom spoken there. It is the only line that I have ever considered. It's the only time I've ever considered a tattoo. 
except for the foolish orange longhorn that sits on my hip. <laughs> it is the only time I have ever considered branding myself. And that line, and I'll deliver it to you from Eugene Peterson's translation, because it is so beautiful. We find ourselves in that scene of John baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. The Spirit descends, and a voice from heaven says, this is my child, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. Then the Spirit led Jesus out into the wilderness. When we hear that story, when we read that story through the lens that we're intended to read it from, this is my child, chosen and marked by my love, the delight of my life. The story is a different story. It's no longer hard rock Jesus or bad mother Jesus. It's a story about relationship. Jesus hears the care and intentionality that God has put into his own creation and the desire to remain in deep, intimate, trusting relationship with him. Then the spirit, God's partner, becomes Jesus's partner where he is led out into the wilderness to be tempted to break that connection. Jesus, if you are so hungry here, you know that you can turn these stones to bread and satiate that hunger. Jesus, just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and put some bread in your stomach and end your physical distress. Jesus connected to God through the partnering with the Holy Spirit rejects his own needs, his own physical needs in order to preserve a connection with the creator. The second beat, Jesus, you don't need God. You can be the master of your own spirit, of your own soul. Look at the view that you have from this place when you are in charge of your spirit and your emotions. Jesus flatly rejects disconnectedness with God and power on his own part. And in, in that reality, retains connection with God through the partnering of the Holy Spirit. And then that last beat, Jesus, don't you know that you, 
You can be the master of your own destiny. You can take the wheel here, Jesus. You can control not only your own destiny, but you can control the destiny of others. All you need do is reject your relationship with God and accept that power for yourself. Jesus, a third time, leans in to relationship with God, leans toward a connection with the Spirit. And in that moment, the temptation to do it all on his own is pushed out of his circumstance and he finds himself attended by spiritual beings, finding himself more connected than he has ever been in his entire existence. From that beat from chapter three, this is my child chosen and marked by my love to that third rejection, that rejection to be master of his own destiny, we see relationship preserved. If you have been around this church over the course of the last several years, then you know at the beginning of each season, the beginning of each liturgical season, we announce a theme. And I think, and here we find ourselves on the first Sunday of Lent, and I think the theme that we've chosen for this Sunday in Lent is probably the most difficult or challenging spiritual maneuver for us as human beings to make, especially those of us who are formed with the Western sensibility of that Cartesian model, I think, therefore I am, reason being, being the grounding of all being, and that first-person singular pronoun that Descartes uses, I. This theme will be the most challenging for each of us. And as I've struggled to accept it, over the course of the last several weeks, I've been thinking an awful lot about how we present it. How we as a church would surrender our fierce or even rabid individuality. How we might surrender our desire to go it on our own, to suck it up, buttercup to grit and bear it, to make it through on our own, how instead of choosing independence, how we as a community might choose interdependence. My brothers and sisters in Christ, interdependence is the heart of the gospel the creative God that we know at the very beginning of the story makes us in order to be connected to us. It is the point of the story. 
And so what I'm inviting us to over the course of the next 40 days and some Sundays is for us to embrace surrender. (laughs) For us to embrace the radical acceptance that it's not just up to us. For us to lean into the idea that we were built for relationship, built for connection, that it is counter our creation to just go it alone. Whether we are experiencing loneliness and isolation in our lives, just that underlying sensibility that like, gosh, it would be awfully nice to have a little help here, to get a hand here, or whether we are immersing ourselves in the very latest research around human development and human connection. Did you know that radical independence, that fierce independence today is described as a trauma response? Not as strength, but rather an acting out of adverse childhood experience, trauma visited on us over the course of months or years, or a traumatic experience? Did you know that the unwillingness to allow ourselves to be connected and served is a traumatic response from not getting the connection and nurture and care that we needed in childhood? You see, fierce independence is not a marker of strength. Rather, it is a cry for help, a need for nurture, a need for healing and care. Over the next 40 days and some Sundays, and maybe it takes longer than that, honestly, you know, maybe it's just too much for this season of Lent and it's something that you pick up in the summer, something that you pick up in the fall because there's work to be done before we get there. But over the course of the next 40 days and some Sundays or over the course of the summer or over the course of the fall, I encourage each of us to lean toward one another, to lean toward God. And look, here's the deal. Just going to be honest. I've spent almost the entirety of my ministry serving congregations that are blessed with resource, wealth, intellect, connection, those kind of important resources. And here's what I find. The vast majority of us are always willing to give. If I ask you, You know, if I ask you, John, can you step up? Can you serve this need that has presented itself in our community? John almost always says, yes, absolutely. I can drop what I have and serve the needs of those around me. But when I ask, Gene, what can we do for you? 
How can we serve you? How can we support you? How can we nurture you through this difficult time? The response is, that's okay. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm inviting us to reject that response, to give consideration to saying yes to help, to seek it out, to uncover it, to cultivate it in those places where we need it in our lives. Whether we are doing that over the course of the next 40 days and some Sundays, or over the course of the next summer, or over the course of the fall, or any time during the present future of our lives, I'm inviting you to surrender, to wave the white flag, to let it go, to give it over, to accept where you find yourself and watch God and others serve the needs that you have lovingly. That would be a miracle if we were able to do that. And I believe in miracles. Amen.